It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Sound on with Kevin Cirilli. The insults, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Sound On with Kevin on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. I'm Kevin Cirilli. I am in New York City, just touched down from Miami, where that first Democratic presidential debate concluded. What a debate it was, the fallout, the fallout for former Vice President Joe Biden after he got aggressively, aggressively, blisteringly attacked for his previous comments regarding race relations in the United States from Senator Kamala Harris. Senator Kamala Harris, the Democrat from California, having a breakout night on night two of the first Democratic presidential debate. We're going to break down all of that. What does it mean for the frontrunner Biden? What does it mean for Senator Harris? What does it mean for Senator Bernie Sanders? He was also up on that stage last night. Meanwhile, President Trump, all the way around the world in Osaka, Japan at the G20, where he is poised to meet with President Xi Jinping in just a couple of hours to meet at a trade war crossroads fraught with risk. That's the headline on the Bloomberg Terminal. Trump and Xi to meet at trade war crossroads fraught with risks. Prior to that meeting, he also met with Russia President Vladimir Putin. So lots to get through geopolitically, domestically, all of this coming underway a busy busy weekend for international relations as the president is over there at that g20 we're going to break it all down for you we've got an all-star panel two two all-stars to really navigate through this zach Bacanis, he is rapid response director for the hillary clinton's 2016 presidential campaign he's with me in new york and max burns another democratic strategist he's and senior contributor to millennial politics he's also a new yorker it's good to be in new york it's been a minute it's been, and then we're going to hear from Congressman Derek Kilmer, Democrat from Washington. He's chairman of the New Democrat Coalition. What did he make of all the Democratic socialists on the stage the other night? But before we dive into all of this, my good friend Nancy Lyons. Nancy, it's been a couple of days. I can't wait to see you next week. Catch us up to speed on what we missed in the headlines. Well, as you refer to it, uh, President Trump did meet on the sidelines with Russian President Vladimir Putin. Democrats are criticizing an offhanded comment that President Trump made. After a reporter asked him if he was going to warn Russia not to meddle in the U.S. election, Trump turned to Putin and jokingly said, don't meddle in the election, and then Putin laughed. 
Well, former President Jimmy Carter was in Leesburg, Virginia today. He says he is convinced that Trump did have help winning the election. I think the interference, although not yet quantified, uh, if fully investigated, would show that Trump didn't actually win the election in 2016. He lost the election and he was put into office because the Russians interfered. Special counsel Robert Mueller did find a sweeping influence campaign during the 2016 elections with the goal of electing Trump, but he did not establish a conspiracy between the Trump campaign and Moscow. Well, James Fields Jr., the man who drove into a crowd of counter-protesters in Charlottesville's Unite the Right rally two years ago, which left one woman dead, was today to life in prison in his federal hate crimes case. For the Western District of Virginia, Thomas Cullen. We at this podium believe that is an acceptable and appropriate outcome in this case. And I personally am grateful for the courage and determination of our victims who've had to live through this ordeal for the last two years, for the hard work and dedication of the agents who worked this case from the day it happened 22 months later. Fields did apologize for his actions before learning his sentence. Well, it was a solemn day today in Annapolis, marking one year since a gunman killed five people inside the Capitol Gazette newsroom. Bloomberg's Nathan Hager reports the community coming together. Journalists gathered at an Annapolis park to remember their murdered colleagues, Maryland Senator Chris Van Hollen. We cannot forget their names, Gerald Fishman, Rob Hyacin, John McNamara, Rebecca Smith, and Wendy Winters. They were doing what they loved. Annapolis Mayor Gavin Buckley. Annapolis will keep the love going. We will keep it going in our hearts. We will keep it going in support of community journalism. Hager, Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. At the Women's World Cup, the U.S. has advanced to the center of victory over France today, 2-1. to one. Well, it's time now for the Beltway Business Report. Here is Bloomberg's Larry Kosky. Well, Nancy, the stock market closed out its best month since January with a modest gain. Investors are hoping for progress over the weekend in U.S.-China trade talks. The Dow Jones Industrial Average gained 73. The S&P 500 rose 16. The Nasdaq Composite climbed 38. Consumer sentiment cooled this month after reaching an eight-month high in May. Trade concerns and reduced optimism about the economic outlook weighed on the University of Michigan sentiment index. Apple is moving production of its Mac Pro computer to China. Sources say Apple will use computer to build the $6,000 desktop, the Mac Pro only major device to be made in the U.S. Online luxury reseller The Real Real got a warm welcome in its market debut. The stock gained 44.5% from its $20 offering price. The Real Real makes it easier to sell and buy used luxury items such as clothing, accessories, and jewelry. The Bloomberg 991 Washington, D.C. area stock index gained 1.2%. You're up to date on business from the Beltway to Baltimore. I'm Larry Kofsky. This is Bloomberg 991 and 105.7 HD2. Thanks, Larry. Global news 24 hours a day on air and at TikTok on Twitter, powered by more than 27 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Nancy Lyons. Happy Friday, Kevin. Happy Friday, TGIF. Remarkable, remarkable developments for the moment in American politics. I mean, it really has been a remarkable day in America politics as President Trump is over in Osaka, Japan at the G20 ahead of that one-off meeting, the all-important meeting with President Xi Jinping of China as they negotiate U.S.-China 
trade politics, plus plus the fallout, the fallout from the first Democratic presidential debate. And that's where I want to take it up. I just touched down at LaGuardia about an hour and a half ago. I made it over to the Bloomberg headquarters in New York City on Lexington Avenue. And I'm joined by two prominent Democratic strategists with me for the hour to get through all of this, to sort it. And there is my head still spinning from the spin room from last night. Here with me for the hour, Zach Pacandis. He's Rapid Response Director for the Hillary Clinton 2016 presidential campaign. And Max Burns, a Democratic strategist and senior contributor to millennial politics. All right, Zach, I want to start with you. The moment, the moment last night when Senator Kamala Harris, the Democrat from the state of California, confronted former Vice President Joe Biden on the issue of his rhetoric regarding race. Let's I want to play for you that exchange and I want to get your your take on it and then we'll get to what Biden did today. Take a listen to the exchange. Vice President Biden, do you agree today? Do you agree today that you were wrong to oppose busing in America? Then do you agree? I did not oppose busing in America. What I opposed is busing ordered by the Department of Education. That was the moment. And then she went on and the the exchange continued and it it was heated. I will be honest, in the spin room where uh, every reporter was watching in in Miami at the Adrian Arch Arts Convention Center, you could have heard up. I mean, it, it was silent. As look, this exchange happened. I mean, look, it was a really bad moment for Job's campaign. And the thing is, he knew it. His campaign knew it. Everybody watching it knew it. It was a really bad uh, moment for his campaign because it really highlighted a couple things. You know, first, it showed that he may be a little bit past his prime. I mean, we're talking about somebody who, you know, whose political prime, right, was, uh, you know, in the in maybe in the 90s and in the, in the 2000s. And it just really felt like that. The language that he was using, defending a decision about busing from the, you know, from the 1970s. It was it uncomfortable. of yesterday. It felt uncomfortable the watching the exchange, the rewatching the exchange, hearing Senator Harris on MSNBC after the exchange. Max Burns, what did you make of it? I thought it was actually quite elegant in the soft way that Kamala Harris pushed Joe Biden into immolating himself mm-hmm. uh, and taking a stand against federal integration of schools in 2019 is a pretty remarkable mistake to make on a presidential stage, especially for someone who has been running for president for longer than I've been alive. Wow. I mean, it was it was uh, I, I, the, what, what, what you just said, Max, it was masterful almost. Senator Harris is delivery because she the way that she started off the debate if you actually go through and they only spoke for like nine minutes if you watch back every time she spoke the first time she addressed the obama administration was on the issue of immigration and she said that she disagreed with she used the words quote unquote my president former president barack obama on a specific policy regarding uh, immigration proposals uh and she looks squarely, it was almost like apologetically at former Vice President Biden saying, I'm going to I'm going to go there. I'm going to draw this contrast. Then like two minutes later, gloves come off. Boom, 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 takes that shot. Former Vice President Biden, for his part. Well, he was appearing uh, in Chicago, I believe. Chicago, I believe, today, along with other Democratic presidential hopefuls with the former with you know, Reverend Jesse Jackson at a at a diversity push coalition event, it was called. And well, he had to address it. He had to address what happened last night. Take a listen to what Biden said on Friday. 
I heard and, uh, and I listened to and I respect Senator Harris. But, you know, we all know that uh, 30 seconds to 60 seconds on a campaign debate exchange can't uh, do justice to a lifetime committed to civil rights. I mean, look, I, 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 this is the problem that Joe Biden is facing. He's trying to wrap himself in the Obama, you know, good feeling that Democrats have um, about the, the presidency and play on the nostalgia that Democrats are feeling. And look, I think it's actually a pretty good it's a pretty good strategy um, as before Democrats are starting to really um, you know, take a look under the hood at these candidates before uh, voters are starting to understand and learn the positions and policies of, of all the candidates. That's one of the reasons why Kamala Harris was so sort of, you know, gingerly uh, going after the Obama. Um, what does gingerly even mean? Well, it means that she she's not going to go and take a whack at, at President Obama, but she does have to start a little bit the, the you know, the, the uh, Joe Biden's connection to Obama. She essentially said, I'm ready to take the mantle of the Democratic Party. Swalwell tried to do it. Other folks, people to judge to some extent tried to do it. She essentially said, like, she just took the baseball bat and just like hit the home run. I mean, it was right there. I was struck by this, Max. How did they not know? How did the Biden campaign not know? It reminded me of Jeb Bush not having an answer to Iraq. How did they not know that they were go- that this was going to be the moment? Well, that's that's really the inexcusable part is to walk into a trap that, that had been it wasn't even a trap. It was like, oh, OK, there's a hurdle. And, and especially given that Kamala Harris didn't say you're a bad person. I, I think you were wrong. She said you hurt me. And she, she said, I don't believe you're a racist. Exactly. And she offered him a chance to come into the 21st century on this issue, and he stood by it. And then today we see a letter coming out that he sent to uh, Senator Eastland in 1977 referring to it as my anti-busing bill. I mean, you can't own the issue any more than he has. It's, a, it's uncomfortable. So how can he recover? Can he recover? I think, yeah. I mean, he's got How? a strong base. He's got money behind him. This is very early. I mean, no one's going to be out in the next two weeks. But you know what? He should be out there doing interviews. I mean, what, like, how, how does he recover? If, you, if you're advising him, <laughs> if you're advising him, what, you, what if you're in the Biden campaign war room, what are you advising him to do today? Look, I mean, I, I, you say he should do interviews. I think he should do less interviews. I mean, look, he is starting he is starting from a place of, of enormous strength, building because people associate him with Barack Obama, who is so uh, who is so popular, and what we're going to see over but the next six Barack months? Obama. Well, tell that to the to the to the voters who uh, are choosing him as their number one as their number one candidate. There's a reason why he's winning. But you have People to run like as him. yourself, no matter who you are. If you, you don't you, run as yourself, the person who run, right? I mean, you in fact don't have to run as yourself. You oh. in fact can vote as. Barack Obama's best friend, and that's and that's what they're doing. And look, the other Democratic candidates are going to spend the next six months trying to chip away at that. But it's going to be really, really hard because here's the thing that people don't recognize about Joe Biden: it's it's not just because he's not just popular because people know him; he's popular because people like him. Right. And so the, he, the, that the way, exchange wasn't likable. No, I, I totally agree. But it's but it's not like I, I bet you when the when the polls come out, you know, after this, it's not going to show big swings away from Joe Biden. It's going to show little tiny movements when we'll figure out where exactly they go. And if, but this is, if, 
if you lose, then it's going to be it's going to be that way. It's, it's going to be a leakage over the next six months. And we'll see if uh, if someone can take advantage of that. I think this is an interesting conversation. And look, I mean, this is a policy program, but I mean, what last night exposed and coming up, we're going to dissect the heck out of the G20 and, and Senator Bernie Sanders. I, I bumped into him and literally bumped. Have you ever been in a spin room? You get like shoved. It's like you're, it's like talking about the women's soccer team. I mean, it's like you're throwing, they're throwing elbows. I'm like red card, yellow card, get me out of here. But I loved it. Uh, but you're trying to like, I, I caught up with him and, he, and we talked about his economic world vision and the vision that he espoused on that stage. I want to get to that too. But the reason I had to lead with Biden was just because I, I feel that respectfully, I, I very much appreciate you coming in, Zach, but I, I feel that was not the way that I think America is used to hearing from from Scranton Joe. And that's what I think is going to be really interesting is, is, is can he still be Scranton Joe? Coming up, we're going to dive much more into it. Zach Bacanis, Rapid Response Director for the Hillary Clinton 2016 presidential campaign stays, as does Max Burns, Democratic strategist, senior contributor to millennial politics. And we're going to check in with Congressman Derek Kilmer, Democrat from Washington, chairman of the New Democrat Coalition. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You can download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Christine Barada's in D.C. KO's in the control room in New York. I'm Kevin Cirilli, live from New York, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. I'm broadcasting live from our New York World Headquarters. Just touched down from LaGuardia, fresh from the spin room down in Miami. It's hot and humid in Miami. Gotta be candid. I wanted some Penn State Creamery ice cream where I went to school, but... They didn't have it, but it was very fun. It was fun to cover. We're appreciative to cover it. And gosh, newsworthy. Uh, we're going to talk more about the debate. Obviously, the moment that everyone's talking about is the Kamala Harris ascent. Democrat from California, Senator against former Vice President Joe Biden. We'll talk more about the debate. Pete Buttigieg, Pete Buttigieg, South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg had a good night. We'll get into that. But the G20 has my focus for right now. Why? Because just within the next couple of hours, President Trump is set to meet with President Xi Jinping of China. Finally, they're going to talk this one-off meeting in Osaka, Japan, the G20 occurring now as, well, the G20 occurring now and then this meeting about to happen within the next couple of hours. Zach Pekanis, Rapid Response Director for the Hillary Clinton 2016 Presidential. King is with me in studio. Max Burns, Democratic Strategist, Senior Contributor to Millennial Politics, also worked for Facebook in Washington, D.C.'s communications office. Why are you laughing? Your voice dropped all of a sudden. <laughs> I didn't, I started I didn't looking drop. real hard at me. I didn't, I didn't do anything. <laughs> I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. All right, the G20. <laughs> Max, you're getting the first question. Uh, what does President Trump need to do in this one-off meeting with President Xi? I think he actually needs to start behaving presidentially and accept that maybe the best outcome for American taxpayers and American citizens is to take a minor loss on this trade war. Anything that I think is to a ceasefire on this back and forth. I know we have things coming up here, another $300 billion or so in tariffs scheduled to go. That's just going to hurt 
the voters that Trump needs. It's going to hurt farmers. And we need that to to end and de-escalate as quickly as possible. I was struck that trade didn't come up as much over the past uh, couple of the debates. I'll tell you what Senator Bernie Sanders told me in the spin room. I actually, my, my question to him, I asked him about tariffs. And he said, ah, it's, too, it's too complex, too complex to get into right now. I know he has a lot to say about tariffs. And he's welcome to, to let me interview him on any time. But President Trump and Xi Jinping, they are set to meet on Saturday uh, to try to hit the pause button on their respective uh, trade war dispute, call it what you want. Uh, but the rhetoric from the Chinese, well, it's differing from what President Trump has said. He told reporters that, quote, we have a very good chance of doing something with China on trade at the G20. All right. I, look, I, I think this is life or death for Donald Trump politically. The trade war is having an enormous impact on uh, on his voters, on on farmers, on 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 those in key uh, red states. I know. I mean, in the, during the 2018 cycle, I was uh, consulting for a, uh, for a couple of campaigns. Uh, out in the in the heartland, and this was incredibly devastating for uh, the Republicans who had to distance themselves from this trade war. It is only getting worse. You hear story after story of farmers and and Trump uh, and former Trump supporters who are coming out and saying this is killing us. You have to stop it. I think Donald Trump is starting to recognize this and uh, is is going to try to figure out something to do before the 2020 election. But it, but I don't think we can overstate how problematic this is. But see, I don't see much daylight between Senator. Elizabeth Warren and Senator Bernie Sanders on the issue of tariffs that I do then I on, on, on from the policy standpoint that I do with, with President Trump. I think Pete Buttigieg last night sort of uh, said tariffs are taxes. He said that on the debate stage. But there is a popular streak in the Democratic Party that is just as rampant on the left as it is on the right. And that eventually will come into play. I don't want to conflate the two stories, but it, it's a fascinating debate to, to your point, because, Zach, I think when you when you look at this on what the business leaders are saying versus what the activist base, the populist base in America and either party, they didn't like NAFTA. They get very uneasy, uneasy about these international trade deals. Get this. I was like dumbstruck by this. President Xi Jinping, he was meeting with African leaders, uh, the, the leaders of African countries at, at, at the G20. And he took a shot at President Trump. I mean, gloves came off a little bit. He said, he said, uh, he said he he warned against President Trump's quote unquote bullying practices and added any attempt to put one's own interests first and undermine others will not win any popularity. I mean it was like a it was like a Chinese like hidden <laughs> message for for President Trump. Yeah, that's just how diplomacy used to sound when it was run by people who cared about the outcomes. Uh, the challenge here is this isn't just hypothetical for Trump. Uh, as was mentioned earlier, Trump won people 65 plus in Iowa by seven points in 2016. The latest Q poll shows him 17 points underwater with them. Mm. That is not a margin where you can win Iowa a second time. That's a, that's, a, that's a really great point. All right, coming up, we're going to talk much more politics and policy. I want to get to the exchange with President Trump and Russia President Vladimir Putin because they talked about election meddling. They really 
did they really? A lot of congressional leadership reacted to President Trump's comments to Putin. And I'll bring you the latest on that panel stage. We're also going to check in with the chairman of the New Democrat Coalition, Congressman Derek Kilmers. Going to call in Democrat from Washington. Download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. I'm in New York City. And you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. TGIF, folks, we made it to the end of another week, a chaotic week on the political front. Geopolitics, President Trump at the G20, the fallout from the first Democratic presidential debate. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television, Bloomberg Radio. My guests are Zach Bacanis, Rapid Response Director for the Hillary Clinton 2016 presidential campaign, Max Burns, Democratic strategist and senior contributor to the millennial politics. What is millennial politics and where can folks find them? You can go to millennialpolitics.co. It is a place where millennial writers and activists come together, write short-form, long-form journalism about issues that affect young people. There's a great podcast as well. We've had everyone from Mayor Pete down to local officials in the Bronx and Queens in New York. So from the bottom to the top, we got you covered on the issues that matter. And Millennial is how old now? I have no idea. And neither do it, I. it really is in your heart. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I, I, all right. All right, Max. It's Friday. I'll let you... Get away with a comment like that. All right. Uh, did you, so the debate. I want to talk about the economic vision of the Democratic Party. And coming up, we're going to hear from the chairman of the New Democratic Coalition, who's going to call in Congressman Derek Kilmer, Democrat from Washington. I'm going to pick his brain about this as well. But Bernie Sanders was up on that stage last night, and he was asked several times about whether or not free college for all, Medicare for all, whether or not that's going to raise taxes on the middle class. And he said it was. He said that people's taxes will go up, but their costs of health care will go down. Is that going to win over the 70,000 voters whom President Trump got that, that voted for Obama and then switched over to him and Hillary Clinton lost like Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Ohio max? I think it needs to be better communicated. And this is sort of the, the paradox for Bernie Sanders is he's been so successful in reshaping the Democratic Party along his ideological lines, that now the people who he has empowered, Liz Warren, Julian Castro, are communicating these issues better than he is and engaging uh, a better segment of the electorate than he is. So he's sort of caught in in this passing him by in between cycles. But see, Zach, I, I, I mean, yesterday, I, 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 before the night two started, I was with Ronna Romney McDaniel, chairwoman of the Republican Party, and she essentially called the rhetoric from the first night, let alone last night, quote unquote, frightening. She called it a free for all. It will it, 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 they want to give away things free for all 
but they don't want to pay. They don't know how to pay for it. When Bernie Sanders gets up on a national debate stage and says that taxes are going to go up on the middle class, Ronda Romney McDaniel is, is is applauding and saying that the they just have to, they're just going to replay that line now until election day. Well, good thing they weren't going to do that before the debate that happened yesterday. I mean, look, this is the problem that the Republicans have when they call everything socialism, then nothing is socialism. When they call Hickenlooper's proposal socialism, Biden's proposal socialism, and Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, then the word loses all meaning. They're going to run the the ads that they're going to run against our uh, our candidates. And it's our job to be able to explain our policies in a way that uh, voters can get behind. But is that a smart policy to say that the middle, if you're in the middle class, your taxes are going to go up, but your health care costs are going to go down? No, I I think that's a terrible way to just just, just (laughs) describe what it is. And I think Bernie Sanders is a pretty terrible messenger on this. Well, you know, and I think and 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 I think the polls are starting to show that where you have someone like Elizabeth Warren, Mm. who is who has a a lot of similar, I would say, better policies than, than, Bern, than Bernie Sanders, who is, in fact, creeping up. Because when she talks about these issues of economic populism, she does it in a way uh, that I think is particularly frightening to people, that people understand, internalize. And you're starting to see her do pretty well. In She in doesn't call primary. herself a socialist. She says that she's a, quote, unquote, capitalist with rules. Yeah. That's that's. I've covered her since her first year in, on the Senate Banking Committee, where it's her first year uh, becoming Senate, uh, and, and watched her and, and how she's grown as a communicator it's been really interesting to watch uh and and she was i thought she had a really strong night just in terms of doing what she needed to do i caught up with senator sanders i think many people would say he's an effective communicator for his for his causes and for folks who agree with uh for what he thinks and that that populist streak i mean it's palpable people are angry there are a lot of folks who support him who want change he calls it a revolution take a listen to my exchange with senator sanders after the debate stage in the spin room down in miami what would a Sanders presidency do on day one to rein in Wall Street? Uh, we would introduce legislation that would break up uh, the major financial institutions uh, in this country. Uh, the truth is that since the Wall Street crash, as you may know, the largest banks are even larger today. Uh, and you have six financial institutions that have assets equivalent to about half the GDP of America. In other words, you have six financial institutions that control the flow of approximately $10 trillion. That is crazy. So we will break up the large financial institutions. We will also lower uh, credit card interest rates in this country, and we'll impose uh, a speculation tax on Wall Street, which will pay for making public colleges and universities tuition-free and eliminating student debt in America. That was Senator Bernie Sanders, a man now so recognizable, I don't even think I have to identify who it is. I think people, when they hear him on their way home from work, know who it is. And that just goes to show you how strong and effective he has been at injecting his policies into the Democratic uh, discourse. Coming up, we're going to hear from Congressman Derek Kilmer, Democrat from Washington, chairman of the New Democrat Coalition. We'll pivot back to what's going on across the world in Osaka, Japan, with President Trump negotiating with the Chinese and the Russians at the G20. Download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli. On Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. I'm joined now 
on the telephone line by Congressman Derek Kilmer, Democrat from Washington, chairman of the New Democrat Coalition. I'm reading from Roll Call, CQ Roll Call. Chairman, first of all, thanks for being here. You helped uh, usher, to be with you. You helped usher in this letter of more than 100 House Democrats, including many of the freshmen who won in moderate districts. They want to talk to the Democrat presidential candidates. And according to this letter, you say, quote, our coalition was the majority makers. Uh, you said, you, or rather, you, you explained this in an interview with CQ Roll Call. It's important that we have candidates that are able to talk to the issues impacting the districts that we won to take back the House. Essentially, you're saying, hey, you know what? There is still a moderate wing of the Democratic Party. No? Well, you know, the, the New Democrat is now the largest uh, ideological coalition among House Democrats. We're 103 members strong, and the common denominator among our members is it's a group of people who are pro-economic growth, pro-innovation, for fiscal responsibility. To your point, uh, 41 of the members of our coalition are, are freshmen. Uh, that means um, uh, uh, 60% of the freshmen have joined uh, this coalition. And, you know, it's, it's people with a diversity of backgrounds, all of whom showed up in Congress with a focus on trying to Im- improve the lives of the American people. And those perspectives of people who won, uh, in many cases, very difficult districts in Kansas and South Carolina, uh, in Utah, uh, in Minnesota and elsewhere, I think those are states um, where Democrats have to be competitive, and I think that's part of the rationale for our outreach uh, to our presidential candidates so that there's a give and take of information, not just them telling us their plans, but our members being able to communicate to the presidential candidates uh, the um, the priorities of the districts we represent. Congressman Derek Kilmer is on the line. He's a Democrat from Washington, chairman of the New Democrat Coalition. They wrote a letter to the Democratic presidential candidate saying they want to talk. More than 100 House Democratic members signing that letter, many of them freshmen and also many of them more moderate-leaning members of the Democratic Party. Uh, Congressman, earlier in the program, I was talking with our panelists about a moment in last night's second round, second portion of the Democratic debate where Senator Bernie Sanders said, yes, middle-class taxes will increase, but health care costs will go down if he is elected president. When I interviewed him briefly in the spin room, he said that he wants to break up big banks and he wants to hold Wall Street more accountable through using regulations. My question to you, sir, is that a message that can win a general election by saying that taxes on the middle class will go up and health care costs will go down? Well, let me let, let me cover that in in a in a few ways. You know, one, uh, uh, healthcare is of vital importance. There's not a, a district that's representative, frankly, by members of the New Democrat Coalition or of any of the other coalitions uh, among the Democratic Caucus uh, where healthcare isn't one of the one of the top issues. We hear it from our uh, constituents. I think one of the key takeaways from last night uh, is that. Yeah, every single person on the stage was advocating for expanding access to quality, affordable health care. That's something that New Democrats have ad- advocated for as well. Um, that is a pretty sharp contrast from what we've seen from, the, uh, from President Trump. It's a very sharp contrast to what we saw out of the Republican Congress in, in the last few years, where 
the debate and discussion has been entirely about how to repeal the Affordable Care Act, uh, sabotage the health care system, and uh, take access to affordable health care away from people. And so there will be debate and discussion about how best to provide that improved access to quality affordable health care, and that's healthy. But there's a, a rather stunning contrast uh, to what we've seen um, from the administration. I, I, I would argue that while there's an appreciation, I think by most um, Democrats in Congress, that uh, that um, those uh, who are um, most well off uh, should better pay their fair share. I don't think that there's a strong appetite among the American people, um, particularly particularly middle-class families that are really feeling the squeeze right now, uh, to see their taxes go up. In fact, in the House, uh, the Democratic caucus is pushing for some changes to the tax laws that are on the books to provide uh, expanded earned income tax, to provide an expanded child tax credit, to actually provide some tax relief to middle-class families, because um, even in the midst of a growing economy, they're feeling the squeeze. And then finally, you asked about uh, about Wall Street. You know, the New Democrat Coalition was an uh, active participant at the table in passing the right. Dodd-Frank financial reforms. Uh, I think there's an understanding that, um, listen, we had an absolute economic meltdown in this, uh, in this country, um, and ensuring that consumers are protected and ensuring that the American economy is protected is something that I think that there's, there's broadly uh, ag- agreement for. Now, having said that, um, I think, uh, you, ha- you know, to me, it's important that um, who end- whoever ends up as the nominee of our party um, not only that it can appeal to the base of the party, but also can uh, can appeal to independent voters. Um, you know, a lot of the, the the members of our coalition, people who won in in Kansas and in Oklahoma and Utah and South Carolina right. and tough areas of Florida, um, were able to do that not only because they appealed. Uh, to to the base, but also were able to articulate a vision for how they were going to make the lives of Americans better, and were able to win independent and Republican votes for that approach as well. All right. Chairman of the New Democrat Coalition, I know you're busy, and I know I've got to let you go. You've been so generous with your time. Congressman Derek Kilmer, Democrat from Washington, breaking down that letter, that letter that might get the attention of that crowded Democratic presidential field. Appreciate your time. Still with me for the rest of the hour, and very quickly, Zach Pacanis, a Democratic strategist, and Max Burns, Democratic strategist. I do want to get to this because uh, President Trump, he was over at uh, the G20, and he met briefly with Russia President Vladimir Putin and joked, essentially, uh, pointed his finger lightheartedly, according to my colleagues reporting on the Bloomberg Terminal, that don't meddle in the election president, quote unquote, don't meddle in the election president. Don't meddle in the election. The audio on it's so rough that we can't even play it. We've got like literally 90 seconds, but I do want to get uh, your both of yours response. Go ahead. Look, I mean, I think it was clearly meant as a joke, and it shows that both he and Vladimir Putin think that the Russians meddling in our election is a joke. I think that ultimately it's going to provide fodder for the House Democrats when they have Mueller come testify before the House Judiciary and Intelligence Committee on the 17th. If I'm Republicans in Congress, I'm going to kick Trump privately for selling us into a position we can't can't argue easily by saying things that are completely indefensible.
Yeah. And just for to, to both of your points in terms of the Democratic perspective, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, Democrat from New York, he said, quote, he seemed to be joking and snickering with Putin about it. This is the wellspring of our democracy elections, foreign interference in our elections. Americans will lose face in their democracy. And this president jokes at it. It's appalling, disgraceful. It shows he shouldn't be president. That's a statement put out by Schumer, according to NBC's Go, Kelly O'Donnell. Last day in the White House for Sarah Sanders, Stephanie Grisham officially now taking over. That's it for me. Busy week. Thank you to our great team here at Bloomberg Radio. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Have a great weekend. I'll be back out on Monday. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.